Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist here at Lamb & Lion Ministries. In our last episode, we looked at the rapid rise of the globalist agenda that's bent on forming Satan's prophesied one world government. This nefarious movement is called the Great Reset. We showed segments from our Great Reset Conference held in late 2021 at the Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas. We began with Brandon Holthouse, the pastor of Rock Harbor Church, who defined exactly what the Great Reset is, its agenda, and the many names it goes by from its strongest supporters of the socialist government movement, including big tech, pharma, banking, and environmental activism. Then, Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries covered the economic mechanisms that are needed to be put in place in order to control everyone's ability to buy and sell, revealing that many are already in place to make the Mark of the Beast system a reality. And finally, Don Perkins of According to Prophecy Ministries revealed from the Book of Revelation what the Great Reset will look like once fully implemented, the Antichrist rising one world empire. In this episode, our Lamb & Lion Ministries Internet Evangelist Nathan Jones will explore how Satan is using today's technologies to unite the world under his new culture and ethos. In the following segment, Nathan will first begin by analyzing how drastically this modern-day tech culture is negatively affecting our vulnerable youth. Next, he will identify Satan's insidious end goal and then reveal his overarching strategy toward making this goal a soon reality. Here now is Nathan Jones. Well, my parents' boomer generation, which was born between 1944 and 64, in their youth, they weaved necklaces of daisies from out of the back of their multi-covered VW buses to the radio's pulsating Led Zeppelin tunes. You're laughing, but you did that. <laughs> now, my own Generation X, listen up, guys, born between 65 and 79, spent countless hours devouring MTV and maneuvering a little Italian plumber around turtle shells why Michael Jackson blared from their boom boxes. Yeah, brother, I know what you're talking about. We know that. And now, the millennials, or Generation Y, they were born between 1980 and 1998. And then Gen Zs, born between 1999 and 2015, endure the pains of tech neck from a life staring down at mobile device screens filled with a plethora of competing apps as Beyonce rocks out of wireless earbuds. Each generation has had its distractions and those who have lived to be distracted. But, and this is significant, no other generation in the past has been subjected to as many distractions as the millennials and Gen Zs of today. Gen Zs in particular have lived their entire lives never having known what life was like without being connected to the internet 24-7 and their mobile devices. This characteristic has led Gene Twenge, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, to label millennials and Gen Zs as Generation Me and iGen, respectively. And after having reviewed two studies about classroom attention spans, led columnist Victoria Barrett to label the children of today as the distracted generation. 
A great price has been paid psychologically for these endless distractions. Barrett cites a Pew Research Center finding where nearly 90% of teachers surveyed said that digital technologies were creating an easily distracted generation with short attention spans. In a common sense study, 71% of teachers surveyed said they thought technology was hurting attention spans somewhat or a lot, with 60% concluding that online distractions hindered their students' ability to write and communicate in person. Almost half of the teachers concluded that continual distractions also hurt critical thinking and homework skills. Well, this ever-connected, though ever-connected to their friends over social media, losing in-person human relationships has caused Gen Zs to find themselves increasingly homebound, jobless, lonely, dislocated, lethargic, physically weakened, depressed, taking prescription painkillers, and even 35% more likely to commit suicide than previous less technical generations. Well, after learning that 44% of high school seniors in 2015 had never been out on a date, Dr. Twenge noted with some worry that it's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades, with the cause being that much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. She's concluded that the twin rise of the smartphone and social media has caused an earthquake of a magnitude we've not seen in a long time, if ever, and that there is compelling evidence that the devices that we've placed in young people's hands are having profound effects on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. This abruptly negative shift in teen behavior towards troubled emotional states is not localized to the Western world either. It's become a global phenomenon. Twenge noted, the arrival of smartphones has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives, from the nature of their social interactions to their mental health. These changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation and in every type of household. The trends appear amongst teens, poor and rich, of every ethnic background, in city, suburbs, and small towns. Where there are cell towers, there are teens living their lives on their smartphones. As I've said, technology is a double-edged sword. The same social media that keeps us connected to long-lost family and friends also connects us to clickbaiters and identity thieves and cyberbullies. The same online classes that we take to help educators from anywhere in the world can also depersonalize the educational process and leave the student learning in the vacuum. I have two college-age kids, I know. News and weather at the touch of the fingertips, which wonderfully warms of impending storms, can also keep us in a constant state of agitation long after the event has passed. The benefits of encountering so many different points of view online can leave one's head spinning in moral relativism and despair. Technology and the many devices that connect us provide great benefit to the individual and society, but in the wrong hands, they can produce great harm. The Lord of all evil, Satan, he knows this. He's had a plan going for thousands of years since the beginning of his corrupting influence on humanity, and it continues to this day. The only difference between then and now is that Satan has added technology to his strategy for reaching his insidious goal. So going forward then, let's get the big 
picture view of what's going on with the Great Reset. Let's identify Satan's end goal. Then we're going to discern his overarching strategy. And finally, I reveal a number of technologies which combine, culminate into the ultimate device, which our enemy now employs to help achieve his nefarious schemes. So let's look at Satan's goal and strategy. What is it exactly? The book of Isaiah provides a first-hand narrative exactly what Satan has long been attempting to achieve. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And ever since God's guardian cherub and heavenly worship leader began to envy the praise and the worship that the Almighty received, Satan has sought to usurp God and sit on his throne. A failed coup d'etat forced the prideful angel to change his plans. Having been banished from heaven and cast down to the earth, if he could not rule the universe, then Satan would at least rule over the planet promised to God's children who were made in his image. Satan would corrupt humanity, bending these mere mortals to serve him rather than their heavenly father, and so build his own heinously evil global empire upon their subjugated backs. So what strategy does Satan employ in his attempt to reach his sinister goal of establishing his global empire and so garner the praise of mankind? Well, he continues to follow the same five-step strategy he did back in the Garden of Eden. Step number one, Satan's goal is to distract. The first step of Satan's nefarious strategy to steal the planet Earth from mankind began by distracting God's children. Genesis 3 tells the story of how Satan, in the form of a serpent, approached the very first woman, Eve. Hanging down from his perch in a nearby tree, the serpent stopped the woman in her tracks with a simple question, asking, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman replied to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, well, God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, God had created and then placed the very first people, Adam and Eve, into a garden paradise. No weeds or thorns or thistles or stinging or biting creatures could be found there. The first couple only had to keep the garden well-trimmed and cultivated, name the animals, and keep God and each other company. No want or need existed, for the bounty of the garden was lovingly given by God for them just to pluck at with ease. Every imaginable fruit and grain was at their disposal, and the crops grew, and the trees fruited all year long. Only one rule existed in this tropical paradise, and that was for Adam and Eve not to eat from one lone tree. That's it, just one tree. The first couple that had been warned by God what should happen to them if they ate from that tree. Death. But Satan knows that which is forbidden often becomes the most tempting. So even with all the boundless delicacies at their disposal, Satan knows how easy it is to distract mankind with the things that they can never possess. Without one simple question Satan posed, all the bounties faded away from his sight, and only that solitary forbidden tree remained stubbornly tugging in her mind. Step number two, self-focus. So with Eve's mind distracted away from all she possessed to not only what she could not have, 
Satan implemented the second step in his strategy to wrest the world away from humanity. He made the humans focus not on a loving God and their countless blessings, but on themselves. In verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, Satan's bald-faced lie placed a niggling doubt in the back of Eve's mind. She began to think that, well, maybe God is holding out on her, and that, well, maybe he didn't love her and Adam as selflessly as he had claimed, and, well, maybe that God was jealous of humanity and was just trying to keep them down. Her outward focus on God and her husband became self-focused on what she now believes she didn't have but deserved. Eve began to see her and Adam's as victims, dupes even, an unknown feeling welled up with her in her for the very first time in her short life. Eve began to envy, and Satan recognized that emotion all too well. Nathan continued to walk us through the Bible's account of the fall of mankind to reveal Satan's strategy for achieving world domination and mass worship. He revealed that by distracting man so that they focused only on themselves, Satan was able to, step three, break mankind's relationships apart with God and each other. Then, step four, Satan kept humanity divided so that they could not threaten his earthly rule. And finally, step five, Satan employs globalization by creating a newly shared culture and immorality. This great reset of the global culture is meant to bring about a false sense of harmony and result in a reunification of the discordant nations, but all under the control of Satan's new world order. In this next segment, Nathan will identify six vital categories of technologies that, when integrated together, make Satan's globalization strategy possible. He begins with the categories involving the harnessing of electricity, then covered the rapid development of the computer and the Internet, as well as e-commerce technologies. We'll now pick up with his fifth category of technology, entertainment. And he'll conclude by tying all these technologies together to identify exactly what kind of culture the Bible foretold centuries ago that Satan is trying to create. So this now leads us to the second to last fifth vital category of technologies which keep people addicted to their smartphones, and that's entertainment applications. Online entertainment takes the form primarily of streaming video, which includes long and short form video, gaming, and social media. Today's society is visually driven. You know that 65% of people learn through visually? So in today's world of advanced technology and high-speed communication, many technologies drive visual learners to on-demand and streaming video. As technologist John Dyer points out, technology has become kind of a supracultural phenomena that finds its way in every aspect of our diverse lives. Today's advanced communication technology has provided a boom in what is known as long-form video created by Hollywood. Turner notes film supplies more widespread cultural references than any other art form, and movies provide a shared reference point. Films and movies provide an unparalleled opportunity to connect to an increasingly vision-driven culture that's story-oriented and then reshape it to the storyteller's point of view. Now, to meet that rabid appetite for all things, streaming video companies had to come. How many of you watch TV via streaming? Again, wow, Las Vegas, okay. <laughs> How many of you use Netflix, Hulu, HBO Go, Disney Plus, Amazon, Prime Video, Sling TV, Crackle? Okay, good, good. And I haven't watched normal TV or cable in like 15 years. 
Streaming devices connected on one smart television, such as Apple TV, Kindle Fire Stick, Roku, and Chromecast, and other mobile devices, are making cable box executives fearfully contemplate their industry's impending demise. For only a few dollars a month, subscription to these servers open up vaults of libraries, movies, and films. Even, finally, we get to see into that ever-elusive Disney vault. The advent of what is called short-form video, though, meaning video that runs a few minutes in length and allows for amateur production quality, is on the rise. Pastor Craig Lascalzo notes that this media is perfect for engaging the mosaic-style thinking of our postmodernist culture, meaning they draw conclusions from seeing the parts rather than seeing the whole because they're a soundbite-driven culture who have neither endurance nor lengthy attention spans. And where... Can people find the best short, unprofessionally yet widely accepted short form video? TikTok. You TikTok, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just give all your videos to China. <laughs> As one marketing expert cleverly noted, YouTube is the future of entertainment. It has been for a few years now. Do you know there are some 2 billion users, almost a third of the world's population, that watches YouTube every month? Some 79% of internet users claim they have a YouTube account or videos in 80 different languages. What are we streaming this conference on? YouTube. Isn't that amazing? 90% of U.S. internet users, 18 to 44, access YouTube. Gen Zs have been called the YouTube generation. What do they watch? They don't watch regular TV. They watch YouTube or TikTok. The YouTube generation uses their smartphones to hop from one short-form video to next, and they will consume a mere 720,000 hours of video uploaded daily to YouTube's platform. Countless hours every day are devoted to YouTube video consumption and increasingly Christian and conservative content. Content such as what conservative spokesman Dennis Prager's PragerU produces and lost a lawsuit defending are increasingly coming under censorship as Google decides what people should or shouldn't watch. That we're having a conference on the Great Reset on YouTube is amazing. I'm actually wondering if it will still be there by Monday. Watch it now. The, let's talk about gaming. It is a $100 billion gaming industry has taken the world by storm. Gaming apps such as Pokemon Go, Minecraft, Snapchat, Hearthstone engage in multi-online role-player games. Do you know the number one gaming country in the world? No, it's Germany. Isn't that weird? Germany, Japan, the U.S., Singapore, and South Korea. According to one 2019 Forbes poll, gamers are playing on their smartphone an average of seven hours a week, but that goes up 20 to 25% every year. The global gaming community, folks, it transcends national borders. They people live within their own virtual worlds. They share common experiences and speak in a common vernacular. And along with video watching and gaming, social media has averaged an average of how many more? Two hours and 24 minutes per day spent on one smartphone, multi-networking across an average of eight social networks. Who primarily uses uh, social media? Women. And who probably gaming? Men. Men. Yeah. I guess that's sexist. They ought to shut them down. Huh. Social media has now, now get this, has become the primary communications among youth. And when polled, most Gen Zs today will tell you they prefer to talk to their friends through social media over in-person communication. Is that true, Gen Zs? They're all asleep. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. 
Let's get to the last so you can all go home and get on your smartphones. And let's talk about security. The sixth and last vital category of technology inherent in the smartphone involves security measures. These are the technologies that on the service are meant to keep the individuals safe, but they're really about keeping society safe. Those are those software security packages and firewalls which protect our phones from the ever-increasing threat of cyber warfare and identity thieves. But there are also those hyper-advanced technologies that continually track the smartphone and hence the smartphone's user all the times by GPS and tower pinging. Through GPS has conveniently replaced the paper map. I haven't used a paper map in years. Our phones know exactly. Today I was being navigated around a parking lot. It was amazing. <laughs> Location tracking constantly sends data back to big tech companies. Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, know where you are at all times. And they give that data to third-party organizations so they can target you with mobile ads. You're driving past a dollar store, oh, boom, you get a dollar store ad. It's because they know where you are. And, folks, you permitted them to track you through data-sharing policies buried deep within pages and pages of privacy policies in terms of agreement. How many of you have read through that whole policy? <laughs> Nobody, right. Yeah, Las Vegas. Apple even tracks personal calls, emails, and texts in order to prevent fraud and to rate the owner with a trust score. Every one of you has a social trust score. Personal privacy left the building as soon as online privacy did. For example, security technologies include the Orwellian realized world of constant monitoring via cameras, microphones, and smart assistants such as Siri, Echo, and Google Home. Anybody have these? They are always listening to you. For example, ever since 2014, when Amazon unveiled the Echo speaker featuring Alexa, its voice-activated virtual assistant software, they hired armies of low-paid Amazon employees to listen in and transcribe your conversations. They gleaned very personal security information from it, and they said it was to make the product better, to improve its services. What does that look like in the wrong hands? Totalitarian governments get involved in security monitoring. You get what I think Billy's going to touch on more tomorrow, China's social credit score. The closest system we have today's Mark of the Beast, folks, I believe, is China's social credit score. It's been instituted in their most populous cities, and countries throughout the world are buying up this system. China's communist government has infiltrated millions of cameras everywhere in order to spy on their citizens, including the cameras built into your cell phones. Computer algorithms then rate the citizens' allegiance to the government, granting benefits to those who are more loyal and restrictions on those computers deemed not to be patriotic enough. Many other countries are adopting the system, and folks, I am sure it will eventually become a worldwide system. And as home security systems and home devices become more smart and interconnected through the Internet of Things, with the master controller being one smartphone, the threat grows to the shady outside entity being able to gain control and monitor your own home over their very own security system. How is that possible? How many of you own a Ring? Amazon's Ring doorbell camera system was discovered being monitored by company engineers over unencrypted live video feeds. Amazon even wants to tie their ring doorbells into facial recognition. They're tying them together so they can circumvent your own wireless network and feed off of other people's wireless networks if they go down. And they've allowed police forces to use their system as a surveillance network. 
So the very home security devices which keep the robbers out also keep the homeowners in a monitored prison of their own making. All right, well, let's conclude by tying it all together. I've been presenting the argument that Satan's final step towards realizing his goal of world domination and global adulation rests on globalizing the world under his new ethos and culture. Theology professor William Edgar defines culture as something like the key to beliefs and customs of a particular society with the view of changing them. With the advent of today's vast technologies, the pinnacle being the smartphone, Satan has found the perfect device in which to mold his new unifying ethos and culture. What then characterizes today's brave new culture? Media expert Steve Turner would characterize it as pop culture and notes just how vastly it suffuses just about every part of the lives that everyone lives everywhere. He warned that the driving spiritual forces behind much of pop culture are intent on altering the perceptions of the outgoing culture, often negatively also towards the God of the Bible and Christianity. When we suspect, he said, that culture has an agenda, we are naturally more guarded. And when we think that it's there to tickle us, we roll over and start purring. We are vulnerable to spiritual corruption when not alert. The result has been a transition of our society away from historical postmodern culture has included a common belief that people, uh, excuse me, describes the character of a brave new world to a post-relativist-based Christian era. Evangelism expert Rick Richardson describes the characteristics of this brave new postmodern culture as including a common belief that all people their own gods. They often engage in identity politics. They are rampantly distrustful of authority. They hold a general belief that love rules. They have an overt fear of the patriarchy. They readily discard whatever came before, and they tend to view Christians as self-serving. I think there's one word we can walk away from this from Brandon's presentation, and that is wokeism. This is Satan's new ethos carefully indoctrinating the masses worldwide by their ever-present and ever-watching smartphones, thus creating a new global culture. And the Bible prophesied it. Paul said, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to unparents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without any self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. Pro-humanists, anti-Christian, having the form of godliness, but denying its power, the end of days culture, Paul warned Timothy, has at last come. These deniers of the one true God, Paul promises, folly will be made manifest to all. But for you Christians, know the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. To reiterate what Nathan said, we hope that especially in these last days, you dig deeper into the holy scriptures. Knowing the Bible will make you wise for salvation and help you navigate these tumultuous end times in which we are living. If you would like to get your own copy of the entire Great Reset Conference, which includes five one-hour-long sessions and a six-question-and-answer session, then order your three-disc DVD copy for a gift of $25 or more, which includes shipping.
Just call the number you see on the screen or order online at lamblion.com. The Great Reset Conference DVD album addresses from a prophetic perspective the rapid rise of the globalist agenda that is sweeping the planet toward a one-world government. Brandon Holthouse, Nathan Jones, Billy Crone, Don Perkins, and myself explain the different facets of this diabolical agenda. In our next episode of Christ in Prophecy, I will finish up this series on the Great Reset by revealing the greatest reset. What is that? Well, join us next time to find out. Until then, this is Tim Moore speaking for Lamb & Lion Ministries saying, Godspeed. Yeah.